How are we doing? Well, hello, everyone. My name is Steve Ruggiero, and I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm filling in for Pastor Fred, our senior pastor, who's away on a well-deserved sabbatical right now. And it, it couldn't happen at a better time. I mean, this is the first time I get to speak at NRBC, and, it, and it's a great series, too, because it's a series called Discipleship, Hot Sign Your Soul. And Discipleship, it, it's near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear to my heart, even though I know that for some, when they hear that word, discipleship, it can sound kind of churchy, right? Maybe a little old-fashioned. So going forward tonight, I want us to... I want to challenge you that when you hear that word discipleship, you think of measurable gains, right, in your life, meaningful results in your relationships, because these are the series, folks, that launch new lifestyles. And how about Pastor Fred kicking off the series, right, by buying 340 hot Krispy Kreme donuts for the church, right? And he had them over in the cafe, Right now, I'm not sure that that's the lifestyle we're looking to launch, but nonetheless, it's an attention getter, right? So since we're on the topic of donuts, I, I want to have, if it's okay with you all, I'd like to have a moment of transparency and a little bit of audience participation. So what I'd like for you to do for me right now is just raise your hand if you were here that night, Pastor Fred bought all the donuts and we kicked off this series. Just, were you here that night? Okay, that's a pretty good crowd. Hey, keep your hands up. If you had at least one donut, keep your hand up. Oh, do you see the disciplined people? So you had one donut, right? One donut. My hand's up. If you had two donuts, keep your hands up. See, my hand's still up. And look, there, there's no judging here. This is about family. Two donuts. If you had three donuts, keep your hands up. That's what I'm talking about. If you had four Krispy Kreme donuts, keep your hands up. And I'm not talking taking them home. I'm talking you finished, you're on fire for the Lord, and you ran to the cafe and you ate four Krispy Kreme donuts. Did you eat five Krispy Kreme donuts. Five. See, I know someone who did because he's my son. I'm just trying to crown the king and queen of Krispy Kreme. So I bought a couple gifts, right? Here's a little Krispy Kreme thing for you, right? Who else? Who else? I got, I got some sunglasses, right? Who, you got sunglasses. Anyone else? Who, who, who had four? Here you go, a gift card. All right, for Chris, king, look, no judgment. The king and king, king and queen of Krispy Kreme. Listen, as motivating as Krispy Kreme can be, the meaning behind the message is clear. Oh, before I get to, do you know that there's almost 200 calories in one Krispy Kreme donut? 11 grams of fat in one Krispy Kreme donut. If you ate six of them, close, right? That's 66 grams of fat. That's equivalent to two Big Macs. That's, there's 33 grams of fat in one Big Mac. So you're here, you're worshiping the Lord, you're done, and you go over and you, you whiff down two Big Macs. Praise God. 
Good on you, son. Make your dad proud. Look, the, <laughs> the meaning behind the message is clear. We must be prepared. We must be prepared. And our model of discipleship at City Life, known as the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24, it helps us prepare. It helps us prepare to live a life that's desirable both to God and to us. And how does it do that? Well, listen, I'm going to repeat what Pastor Fred says oftentimes when he talks about this discipleship model. He uses this phrase. And I want to challenge you. If you call City Life your home, you should be able to articulate this model a little bit to people when they ask you about discipleship here at City Life. It's the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. What does that mean? It means if I accept the 1, the invitation, follow me as I follow Christ. If I accept the 1, and I don't have to, but if I do, then I have to obey the six commands, the six commands of Jesus. Follow me, love God, love others, be perfect, go into all the world, right, and receive power from the Spirit. I have to obey the six commands, and I obey the six commands by walking in the 12 pathways, which we're going to get to in a little bit. When I walk in those 12 pathways, I become these 24 virtues, and these 24 virtues are characteristics of Jesus. And isn't that what we're trying to do? Be like Christ? But let me say this up front so there's no misunderstanding. This, it's not a salvation model. It's a sanctification model. Your salvation is secured the moment you make a vow of devotion in earnest and in faith to Jesus. Nothing else. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved, folks, you and I, by grace, through faith, not by anything that we do. It's a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. But how many of you know the moment that we make that vow of devotion to Christ, everything in eternity changes in that moment. We were once separated forever from the Lord. We make that decision, that commitment, and now we have eternity with them in a second. But don't you know, everything else here on earth in that moment stays exactly the same. In other words, your spirit is different, but your situation is not. Sure, we no longer have to fear death, but death still comes. We're no longer bound by temptations, but we're still tempted. And we may have a brand new outlook and perspective on life, but maybe our family and our friends don't. And yes, you and I, we're given a new heart. But wouldn't you admit that even though we get that new heart, our behavior, our thoughts, our responses, our, our, our words sometimes, our actions, they're still a little messy, right? That's where discipleship comes in, folks. It helps us clean that up. First, there's a decision, and then there's direction. And that's highlighted in Psalm 
32. If you have your Bible, look at it. If you have your phone, pull it up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want you to look at it. Because many of us can relate to David's, he's feeling way down with his sin in this psalm. Right? And this is what he says. In verse 5, he said, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. My guilt is gone. Just like that. We were just talking about it. Making that vow of devotion, it's gone. He repented. And then God says in verse 8, which is our key verse for tonight, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. And we believe here that that best pathway for your life is found amongst these pathways. When we begin in these pathways, that pathway begins to come clear. Scripture, worship, prayer and fasting, right? Relationships, gathering, accountability and rest. Reaching, service, generosity, stewardship. Folks, these are the fundamentals of our faith. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is it. And now, yes, there's a place for conversations to unpack our, the theological implications of predestination versus free will. Sure, sure, we talk about that. And we can hash out our eschatology and my premillennial, my postmillennial. Yeah, I don't know, it's up here in the closet. I don't know, we can talk about that. But these pathways, they cut through the clouds and they confront you and I with questions Questions like this. How are you serving your family? How are you serving your friends? Hey, I get it. You got being served? Down pat. Good on you. But how are you serving? See, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So these pathways ask us, how are you serving? How are you serving your friends? They ask us questions like this. <laughs> hey, when was the last time that you gave generously, sacrificially, and didn't advertise it, didn't promote it, didn't post it? They ask us questions. Like, who have you invited into your life and given them permission to ask you hard questions? about the decisions you're making. That's what these pathways do. Let me put it another way. Four weeks ago, Pastor Fred opened up this series by saying, we have to practice these pathways so we're prepared to meet Jesus. And I agree. You and I, all of us, we all have a date with destiny, folks. We all do. In fact, there's a date right now on the calendar that I don't know yet, that has, it marks the day of my last breath. He knows it. May 13th, 1965, to that day. He knows it. It's already there. And it's a day when I take my last breath that my family and my friends will stand over me. 
while I'm standing before him. And I want to be ready. We need to be ready. But let me say this. From this moment, July 23rd, 2016 at 5.53 p.m., from right now to that, to that time, there's going to be countless moments that shake us to the core. From now to then, unexpected surprises, bad news, relationships. In the past few weeks, our country, our world, has been swallowed up in a tidal wave of anger and fear and anxiety and uncertainty washed over us, our country, and the world. How did you respond? What did you say? What did you feel? What did you post on Facebook? Here's my point. How we respond to those moments, those global moments, and those personal moments that may only happen in the confines of my home, how we respond to those moments is directly related to the time that we spend in these pathways. How we respond then is how much time we've spent here. Jesus himself said, in this world, you and I will have tribulation. Webster says tribulations is a state of great trouble and suffering. You, me, he said we'll experience it here. <laughs> Many of, of us know that personally, don't we? If that's true, which we believe it is, why aren't these pathways a regular and, con and consistent part of every Christian's life? I'd like to answer that question tonight by addressing two other questions. I want to talk for our time together. How, how do we even start on those pathways? How do we start? Because I think there's maybe one or two of us in here who aren't doing them. And then how do we stay on them? How do we start and how do we stay? And I want to I share, when I was doing my research, when I was spending time in prayer, going through, trying to pray, what do I talk about discipleship? Listen to this. In 2007, a psychologist by the name of Angela Duckworth, let me tell you something, she's not your run-of-the-mill psychologist. This woman won the MacArthur Fellowship, which is nicknamed the Genius Grant, she, she's amazing, right? She runs a lab at the University of Pennsylvania. And she got all this grant money and all these people together and said, I'm going to build a research team to answer one question. That question? Why do some people succeed and others don't? Why do they succeed and they don't? So she spends all of this money all of this time speaks to people from all different careers, successful, those who failed, all over the world, 
all this money. And when she was all done with all her qualitative and quantitative, quantitative analysis, gets all her data together, and she's like, okay, it all comes down to one word. One word. Rose above all the others. Why do some succeed and others don't? And you know what? It wasn't IQ. It wasn't even talent. It wasn't giftings and anointings. It wasn't charisma. It wasn't emotional intelligence. It wasn't physical attractiveness. And you know what? It wasn't even self-confidence. One word rose to the top above all others on why some people succeed and others don't. And she said it's a word called grit. It's a word called grit. And she defines it in her book by the same name, right, as a combination of two qualities, passion and perseverance. We're talking about discipleship, passion and perseverance. Right about the same time, unbeknownst to each other, there's two other women who are writing a book called Grit to Great. I kid you not. Give it up for the women with the research, right? I'm telling you, you guys are killing it. And you know what they said? They said grit's kind of an old-fashioned, a little outdated term, but it's making a comeback. You know why? Do you know why? They said because as a society, it seems we've gotten soft. See, because grit is about sweat, not swagger. It's about character. Not charisma. They said grit is the result of a hard-fought struggle. A willingness to take risks. A sense of determination. This is what, and then they said this. Having the passion and perseverance to accomplish difficult things. They, they used the same words. And you know what? As I began to do my devotions and I began to study a little bit more, you know what I began to find out? That scripture is packed with grit. It's packed with it. Grit is the woman with the issue of blood who pushes through a crowd, risking her life unclean as she was just so she could put her hand on Jesus. Grit is a man physically limited who runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree fighting past the branches and the leaves just so he can see Jesus. Grit is four friends carrying a friend through town, on top of a house, and digging through a roof so they can lower him down so he can be with Jesus. That's grit. That's passion. That's perseverance. That's discipleship. And one of the grittiest people that we read about in the scriptures, the apostle Paul, continues to preach the gospel after beatings, imprisonments, sleepless nights, Snake bites. He keeps going. And you know what? You and I, 
We need to emulate these heroes of the faith, and we need to bring some grit and passion and perseverance to our walk with Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me tell you something, though. Let me tell you something. I love these books. I'm a fan of cognitive psychology and behavioral research, right? Social sciences. I love it. I love reading about it. But let me tell you something. They forgot something. They didn't add something. See, they said that the advantage of these people who succeeded, they said their advantage was stamina. With us, with you, and with me, Stamina, that's not our advantage. My advantage and your advantage is not our stamina. Our advantage is not our strength. Our advantage is found in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when we bring grit, passion, and perseverance, and we partner with the Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you, you will begin to see measurable gains and meaningful results. Last week, Pastor Fred, he spoke about Jesus doing his part. Tonight, I'm going to ask you if we're doing our part. Okay? And I'm going to do that by looking at that first question. How do, how do I even start, man? See, what do I even do to get going? Let's break that equation down. Let's look at the first one. Passion. Starting on the pathways. Begin by saying this. Every week I come here, and just like you, I sit in those seats right over there every week. And I listen to amazing messages from Pastor Fred, incredible messages from Pastor David. And as I sit there and I'm taking notes, either writing them or in Evernote, I have every intention of leaving and digging deeper into the pathways and getting started. But you know what? Intention never has, never will accomplish anything in our life. See, that's why Andy Stanley said in his book, Principle of the Path, it's not intention, but attention that determines our direction. So I'm saying that we leave week after week strong on intention and weak on attention. Listen, I understand. Some of the pathways, they make a connection, right, with an already pre-existing interest in us, like maybe worship. Maybe before I came to the Lord, I was in a band. Maybe I was king of the karaoke at the bars. I don't know, but you know what? I get saved. Suddenly, I love worship. It's easy, right? For me, it was relationships. Before Christ, had a lot of friends. With Christ, won a lot of friends. It's easy. But rarely have I ever met someone who makes a connection with all the pathways. I haven't seen it. Right? I haven't heard very many people get really excited about denying themselves food <laughs> or Facebook. Right? Especially when there are wide other pathways, right, calling for us. Those wide pathways like comfort 
and convenience and Krispy Kreme and County Grill. Muffins, right? So what I want to do is I want to spend a couple minutes and I want to explain a little bit about passion because I think we might have it a little bit wrong. So I want to talk a little bit about passion. See, many of us think passion, right? It's this sudden, all at once, rush of emotion. Like when I saw my spouse for the first time, right? Or I, I hit a golf ball or I, or I kicked a football or I did some hobby and I was like, this is amazing. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I, have a, I want to be with them for the rest of my life. And then you know what we find out? It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work. So our supposed passion, it fizzles out. And we move on to another career or another relationship. So to prevent that from happening, I just want to I want to define for you a little bit how passion grows. Listen, it's important. We got to know this. I, have you guys found it difficult to concentrate when there's an emblem of Krispy Kreme? You know, I had pictures of donuts up there, and I thought, that's not a good idea, man. No donut. Let me tell you a little bit about passion. Passion is a little bit of discovery, a whole lot of development, and a lifetime of deepening. Let's talk about discovery for a little bit. Every one of us has a question in here. Every one of us has questions inside of us. Why am I here? Do I have what it takes? Am I loved? Why can't I communicate with my spouse? Why can't I connect with my kids? Why does it seem that everyone, oh, everyone, it always works for everyone else except for me? Why does everyone else look so happy and, and this God thing works for them, but not for me? Why is my life not nothing like I planned it? What's my future look like? What do I do? What, what does retirement look like? I mean, all these questions in here. We have questions, and God has answers. And those answers are discovered on those pathways. You step on that pathway of Scripture, and you begin to see things about Jesus that you didn't see before. You begin to, to get insights into why you made the decisions you made when you get on that pathway of Scripture. You get on that pathway of worship and you begin to, to get answers to those questions about why do I feel like I just can't worship? You get on that pathway of worship and you find freedom. You get on that, path, that pathway of fasting and you, you get up close with just how much self-control you have. You know, since, since y'all were so honest with me about the donuts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I'm going to share a little moment of transparency. 
was some years ago that I think it was right after a Chinese buffet on Sunday after church that I said, I'm going to fast Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. I just left the buffet. I said, I'm going to fast. I don't know if it was conviction or indigestion, but I said, I'm going to fast Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And Monday came, and I was kicking myself. Went breakfast, went by lunch. I was like, oh, man, this must be what childbirth feels like, right? I was hurting, man. I was hurting. Dinner comes, right? Dinner comes and goes. And it's a little bit later, and I'm going to be honest with you all. I broke my fast the first day. Whoa, whoa, let me tell you why. You have to be a seafood lover to, to get this. I broke it for a tender, huge lobster tail, steamed with butter, lemon poured over it. Come on, you guys might have done it too. See, but here's the thing. It wasn't lobster, it was a hot dog. But I'm telling you, I was so hungry that it looked and it tasted just like lobster. It was a hot dog, and I was eating it like, oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, it was. I felt like it was lobster. It was a hot dog. I broke my first fast for it. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. When we get on these pathways and we begin to get some answers to our questions, we begin to gain momentum, which pulls us to the next stage of passion, which is development. Development. This is where our root systems begin to solidify. This is where we begin to seek out more knowledge, right? We begin to study more. We begin to ask people more questions, right? It moves from just mere interest and revelation to to application and transformation. It's like our faith begins to take form in the development stage of passion. And that seed that was in there in the discovery comes through the soil of our hearts and begins to sprout and grow and people see it. And now we influence people around us. The passion is growing. And then it moves into the final stage, deepening, a lifetime of deepening. This is where our passion, it's not an emotional driver anymore. It's a point of purpose. And and the hard choices we had to make early on have now become habits. And now we get up early on a Saturday morning, a Saturday morning, and we go to base camp men's group so we can be together. We go to a women's retreat at the end of a hectic week. Like Vanessa said last week, we're excited about coming to church. I'm not having to be coerced. I'm part of a family. I'm involved in something here bigger than me, and I don't just want to come. I want to help. You know why? Because I'm passionate and I'm motivated. I'm a disciple. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at what you could do when your passion develops and grows. You'd be amazed. You'd do things that you never thought humanly possible. Don't believe me? Watch this.
Ain't too sure what I believe in But I believe in what I see And when I close my eyes yeah. I see my whole life ahead of me These are ours Yes never jump off a cliff. You may never, never kick flip your surfboard and ride a wave, but I want to tell you this. You will achieve more than you ever dreamed possible. You will become more than you ever imagined if you start on these pathways. But once you start Ladies and gentlemen, you have to stay 
Which leads us to the second part of our grit equation, perseverance. Staying on the pathways. Listen, the word perseverance comes from the Greek word hypomene. And similar Old Testament words for perseverance, that hypomene, it meant this, an inward work, resisting temptation, standing fast, waiting on God. But in the New Testament, the definition grew to be this. A person who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose or their loyalty to faith from even the greatest trials and sufferings. In other words, the word grew from holding ground to taking ground. That's perseverance. That's why in Hebrews 12:1, therefore, since we're surrounded By such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And what? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Two chapters earlier, Hebrews chapter 10 says this, verse 36. You, put your name in there, me too, need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, which is active, oh, by the way, when you've done the will of God, you'll receive the reward that he's promised. In verse 39, it says, we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We believe and are saved. The Message Bible says in 1039, we're not quitters who lose our way. I'm not a quitter. We stay, we survive, we trust. It's funny. When we're passionate about something, quitting never even comes in our mind. We never even talk about quitting when we're passionate. That's why divorce isn't a really common topic at weddings. It's like not like, hey, in the buffet line, <laughs> do you know a good divorce lawyer? Right? And it's why many of us, me included, know the struggle with the yo-yo diet, right? Look, it's why diet plans, they don't advertise the number of people who quit. And when people come to church and they're rejoicing with their new family after salvation... Nobody runs up to them and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down a little bit. I know you just got saved. When you think about quitting, don't. We don't do it, right? We're passionate. And yet, many of us in here, we know people. We've been to the weddings, and they were so happy, so in love, so passionate, and now they're divorced, and they've split all their things. Right? Like I said, the diets? Whoa, hey, that's me. Look at you. You know? And you know someone, if you've been in church for more than a year, who was happy and excited because they got this newfound family and everything they're learning. And then they stopped coming and they stopped calling. 
And the reasons why, folks, the reasons why can be stacked from the floor to the ceiling of why. And honestly, we just don't have time to go through them all. So I'm going to mention one. Just one reason why I think people stray instead of staying. Because I think it's pretty common. That reason is impatience. It's impatience. People don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. Do you like waiting? You don't like waiting. We eat fast food, we pay extra for same-day shipment, and we honk when the light turns red. We speak in text messages, get our point across in 140 characters or less, all while GPS is giving us the fastest route to the restaurant. That mindset, that demand for instant gratification, it's ubiquitous and it's made its way into the church. And when it comes to discipleship, if I don't go from Judas to Jesus in 24 hours, I'm going to find something else to do. If it's too hard, I got to find something else to do. So how do we persevere? How do we stay on the path? I'm just going to give you a couple things to think about. You don't have to do them. You don't even have to agree with me. But I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. Number one, how do we stay on the pathway? I think when it comes to impatience, I think that we need to recognize impatience, especially chronic impatience, it's not a time problem. It's a character problem. Let me say that again. Impatience, chronic impatience, it's not a time issue. It's a character issue. Because every time we feel, and you know that feeling, that wrestling inside here, we are quick to say, if they just, it's their fault. Have you driven on 64? Right? The teacher didn't like me. The preacher was boring. I, ha- I, I, I couldn't read. You know how busy I am? It's everyone else's fault. We have a tendency as humanity that when we feel impatient, we immediately look outside. I want to ask us tonight, when you feel impatient from here going forward, I want you to look inside. Inside. You know why? Because impatience is oftentimes the fruit of a deeper issue. Like entitlement, control, selfishness, pride, right? I'm glad no one in here suffers from that. Last week, Pastor Fred gave this great illustration about eradicating sin and bad behaviors from inside of us. If you weren't here, he talked about being on a charter boat, and for an hour, the man was dry heaving over the side of the boat. So he gave us an illustration, an image of, of dry heaving, and he said, that's how we got to get that stuff out of us. But let me tell you something. <laughs> If you try to get entitlement and selfishness 
and control and pride out of your system, it's not just going to go because you tell it to. It's going to be, who in here has dry heaved? Am I the, okay. It's horrible. It hurts. I feel like I'm being turned inside out. That's sometimes what it feels like when you're getting this stuff out of you. Which leads me to my second point. Along with recognizing impatience, chronic impatience, as a character issue, not a time issue, the second thing I want you to do, because you know that that's uncomfortable when we deal with these things, man. I want you to find comfort in the discomfort. I want you to find comfort in that discomfort. Because you know why? Because I call that the sweet spot. Because that's where you have opportunity to change. That's where the change comes in. You're ripe. When you feel that, you're ripe for change. This morning at base camp, Cameron Muro shared an amazing message about, about identity and, and going through the valley. And, and he even talked about persevering. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to use some of that tonight. Here's what he said. Four questions that we need to ask God. We need to pause and we need to pray. Whether you're 15 or 95, I, I don't care. When you feel this, because you're going to feel it, don't run from it. Don't look for a way out. Pause and pray and ask God. That's what Cam shared this morning. What are you trying to teach me right now? What are you trying to teach me? What issues are you trying to raise through me, through this situation? What are you trying to bring to the surface here, Lord? What is it, Father, that you want me to see through this? And Lord, what are you asking me to let go of? In his book, Leadership Pain, Samuel Chand said, we grow to the threshold of our pain. Where's your threshold for spiritual pain? Because if you're looking to anesthetize and medicate or find a way out, because let me tell you something. I'll get to that. Can I have the worship team come up, please? Sometimes spiritual formation is a wonderful, exuberant experience where we're running through the front and we're rejoicing and we're high-fiving and the sun is perfect in the sky and, and everything's great. But if that's all your spiritual journey is in discipleship, if your path, if your path that you're on for spiritual formation does not include pain, discomfort, challenges, and difficulty. I'm going to tell you this so you're not surprised when you get there. Because when you get to the end of that path, Jesus isn't going to be there. You are. When you get to the end, and you're like, this was a piece of cake. 
What's so hard about growing spiritually and changing? I don't know why they call it dying to yourself. This is a piece of cake. Because when you get to the end of that path, there's a mirror, not a throne. I had a friend of mine one time say this. He said, you know, I was... He's doing these ministries in church, and so he'd walk up to a guy, and he'd say, hey, man, can you, can, can you, can you help me out with this? I got this ministry going on, and, and, the, and the guy would say, can I pray about it? And he'd pray about it, and he'd come back and say, I, God's just telling me, brother, it's just not for me. Okay. So he goes over here. Hey, can, can you guys help me out with it? I, I need a little help with it. He says, I just don't feel like God's calling me to do that. Okay, so he comes to me and he says, I got a question. Why does it seem that sometimes God tells everyone else to do what they want to do, but he keeps telling me to do what I don't want to do? And I said, it's probably because you're listening to him. It's probably because you're listening to him. I'm not saying it's all hard work. I'm not. But if there's none... Why do we need perseverance if it's easy? Perseverance is absent in the place of comfort. Who has to persevere through a box of Krispy Kremes? <laughs> you know? Perseverance, by definition, exists where there's difficulty. And if you don't have any, or you're running from it, I'm telling you, you're missing out on everything that God has for you. So we're going to worship just for a couple minutes. And I want to ask you, in your worship time, will you make a moment tonight to ask God, where do I start? I want to start. I want to see what you have for me. I have questions. You have answers. I want to start. Tell me where. I'll begin now. In, in your prayer, ask him, you know, to, let me tell you, when you step off a pathway of growth and you go do your own thing for a while and then you come back to the Lord, you're like, yes, I'm back in church. You, you don't start way up there. You start where you stepped off. Right where you stepped off the pathway, that's where you get back on. And then you begin again. And that's what he's offering you tonight. If you stepped off, step back on and he'll walk with you. Stand with me and let's worship a little bit.